We had a visit this morning from friend of the show, Jeremy, and beautiful little Jonah, his son. And Jeremy was struggling a little bit because at four this morning, Jonah came into the bedroom and said, Daddy up. And so Daddy had to get up. And then Jonah climbed into the bed, apparently, and went to sleep. This seems deeply unfair and, as Jeremy said, unequitable. But, um... Jonah's pretty cute, so I guess it's fine. Speaking of cute, on Ratbag Poetics on Valentine's Day, David is going to be doing love poem dedications, and he would love for you to submit a poem. He sent me a note. He said, on February 14th, I'm reading love poem dedications from you to them, and spinning velvety smut to make the mood rings glow. I wish I had my mood ring still. Where the hell is that thing? Submit a poem, yours or another's, dedicate it to and from in any format, voice note or textual. Before the 14th of February, email ratbagpoetics at gmail.com with your submission, and I'll get back to you nicely. Sadly, no money, just your poems on air and an archive of love forever in podcast form. David, if, anyone, if anyone's asking you for money, <laughs> I mean, all right, I guess they could be asked if they work really hard on their poem and they, and they take that as a publication, then maybe. But come on, like, no. Yeah, this, is, uh, this sounds like a bit of fun and a very cute idea. So... Get your love poem dedications in to ratbagpoetics at gmail.com. I will. Uh, I really hope I'll have time to do that. I tell you what, it's just been relentless the last couple of weeks. Absolutely relentless. Like, all good things, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Every day I'm just like, can I do all these things? I don't think I can. And then weirdly they still seem to get done. My favorite thing I've done in the last well, more than a couple of weeks, probably in the last six months, my favorite thing that I've made, uh, I interviewed Matthew, Matthew Buckley-Smith from Slee Ricketts. Over on his show, we talked about his beautiful book, Midlife, which has just arrived at my house today from readings. Um, I'm really proud of the interview. I'm really fucking proud of Matthew. And yeah, go check it out. Like, have a listen. He reads some killer poems and I would just like to say for the record that I made one edit a single edit in his readings uh, that's kind of unheard of I'm going to come back to David at the end because we had a bit more of a serious chat so let's leave the all the love and mutual adoration behind and get into the backstabbing the envy the criticism, can you hear that dramatic wind outside? It's getting it's getting very serious in here. We're gonna we're gonna finally solve poetry criticism in Australia today with your help. Last week on MasterChef Australia, it's time to cook for your life. So thank you to everybody who wrote in. I got some beautiful notes from my regular correspondents, and I got some very surprising notes from people who I did not know were listening 
which kind of scared me, but <laughs> that's fine. That's It's good. It's a better class of problem, as they say. I'm going to start with a little note here from Adam, the wonderful Adam Ford of Tewton. Adam of Tewton, we'll call him. Uh, Adam says, I absolutely loved that you revisited the Poet Tasters last week. Well, I did that, Adam, because we talked about it, didn't we? Like, I'm pretty sure you were the one who encouraged me to do it. I really should have credited you with that, which now I am. Adam was the one who was like, yeah, you should do that. Thank you, Adam. He says, I don't think I have anything to add, except that I feel like I abandoned poetry publishers and poetry journals about two or three years ago out of exhaustion and frustration and ennui, and I'm worried that that makes me complicit in their decline. I don't know about this decline thing. I'm going to come to that a little bit later in the episode, but I do, you're not the only one who referred to exhaustion in your response here, Adam, uh, as you'll hear in a minute. And it's a sentiment that I share. I think I said that in the intro to, to Jeff's episode, like, it's a double-edged, I hate that expression, double-edged sword, because I, I, I honestly just don't think it makes any sense. But it's like, there's pros and cons to the way that Australian poetry publishing is at the moment. There is a lot of work coming out. There's a lot of really great work, and I am not just saying that to sound, I don't know, supportive and get people to think that I'm encouraging or something like I really do I really do feel like I get to write and work in a community that's really thriving right now like seriously thriving like I still think about the time I spent in the US and I sort of think well yeah I mean there there were brilliant moments and brilliant people and I met some people who I hope are friends for life but some of the readings I went to there were pretty dire like yeah, I think a lot of what we're doing over here is more interesting and exciting and things are just more vital. But maybe one of the results of that too, just the sheer amount of activity is a sense of overwhelm amongst poets in general. Um, I don't know if that's quite what Adam means. I think... There can also be a sense of bashing one's head against a wall when you're just like sending work out and it's getting knocked back and you just don't know what it is that people want. That can be exhausting and frustrating. Adam also mentions ennui, the politeness that I talked about when I talked about Ben's article about the poet tasters, that formulaic type of review writing can definitely lead to a sense of pointlessness and boredom and what the hell are we even doing here but I don't know about I don't know about decline need to come back to that what I will say though Adam is you're definitely not the only one after a sushi restaurant challenge we had our first elimination Melissa unfortunately you will not be Australia's first master chef listener Wayne got in touch as well and he said thanks again for the episode as a non-poet and non-academic I often seek reviews to help me make choices or help me think about books I have read. I do find it disappointing to see so so few books reviewed and that too often reviews leave me struggling for breath from trying to digest what can often be a torrent of in language and references. 
Love the challenge, but it can be exhausting. So again, general sense of exhaustion there, <laughs> expressed by Wayne. And yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel the same way. Like I love, it is wonderful to read a review that is trying to do something more than the formula. But when that goes into linguistic fireworks and a sense that the reviewer is real, like really their goal is to make themselves look good and to show off their own writing, that can be exhausting for sure. And it can be, it can obscure what they really think about the book as well. It's interesting though that Wayne says, I seek reviews to help me make choices. I wonder how many people use reviews that way. I tend to use them more in the second way. A review helps me to think about a book I've already read. Because often I'll come away from a book and I'll just think, I don't know, like I think I liked that, but I, I'm i not really sure why or properly what I think about it. And then I will go to a review and either agree or disagree with it and it will help me get a, a better handle on my own thoughts. I did think it was interesting that both Adam and Wayne mentioned this sense of exhaustion. It is only February, so we can't put it down to a seasonal end of year thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think I mentioned it in my intro to the conversation with Jeff as well. Like I do feel I mean, relentless is the word I keep using, right? It's just like every day, every week, it just feels like, oh God, another thing. I do feel like my my patience is very, like I, I miss the enthusiasm I used to have for like sitting down with something and feeling like I've got all afternoon to think about this. And I don't really know what it is that has changed in my life that makes that feel difficult but that's the kind of brain that you want to bring to reading a review right like you want to just be focused and patient and open-minded and too often I feel like I'm scattered and frustrated and just want the person to get to the bloody point <laughs> this is not make for a good reader a five-year-old could cook better than that there is no way on the planet I'm going to be in the top three. Jenny, you're next. Somebody who I know for a fact is not like that because of the amount that they read and the sheer amount of work that they pump out is the incredible Maggie Ball. Maggie wrote to me with some really excellent points. She said, you asked for some feedback on the Poet Eaters episode. My first bit of feedback is that my own site, The Compulsive Reader, published 77 poetry reviews in 2023. I did think about that, Maggie. I just, I'm sorry I didn't mention, I didn't mention The Compulsive Reader. Like, I, yeah, I just followed Ben's pattern of the journals that he reviewed. But yeah, I did think about that. And I thought, what about Maggie? Like, she is working her ass off over there. So I'm glad. I'm glad you pulled me up. Um... 77 poetry reviews is like well above anyone, I think. Wait, let me find my scribbles, my maths, my terrible, terrible maths. Well, yeah, I mean, the second, the second highest number of reviews published was by Australian Book Review, who did 36. 
2023. So you're crushing it, Maggie. You're you're well out in front. Maggie says, I'm just one of a number of independent sites that do a lot of poetry reviewing and sit outside the academic newspaper journal world. Another one I could mention is Jonathan Shaw's Me Fail, I Fly, which is which you can find at shawjonathan.com. I'm not going to count his, but I know he does an awful lot of poetry reviews. She goes on to say, while I appreciate the insularity of the poetry world, and yes, most reviewers, myself included, are working poets, though I think Jonathan only published one chapbook a long while ago with Picaro Press, I'm not sure that I would agree with Evelyn Araluen that critics just need to get tougher. I'll side by here and say <laughs> that, that is not probably not what Evelyn said. That's this is like me quoting David on Ratbag Poetics, quoting something that Evelyn said on a panel. I think the sentiment that David expressed was a need for more honesty, maybe not more toughness, but I have heard that from other people, you know that critics need to be tougher and everyone's just too polite. I've definitely heard that. Maggie goes on to say, I don't see the reviews I write as being an assessment of whether a book is worthy or not. I did used to think that, and I even wrote a little book in which I said as much, but my youthful hubris and some of the more critical reviews I wrote embarrass me a bit. I now believe that the best kinds of reviews are not judgments on a book's value or otherwise, against some kind of inherently subjective critical scale of quality. For me at least, and in the best book reviews I read, a review is an engagement. It is a deeper than usual reading in which you immerse yourself in someone else's words, giving the work the kind of attention that we are usually distracted from. I'm literally forced to slow down, read and reread a book many times, and in multiple ways when I write a review. And the joy and importance to me of this is my primary motivation for writing reviews. Of course, if I don't like a book, I just pass on it. And I'm lucky I can pick and choose what I want to immerse myself in. But the idea of being a gatekeeper doesn't appeal to me anymore. It's a meeting, a connection and a close reading of the kind that our dear friend Al Phil Reese encourages. And she ends by saying, that's my two cents. Academics may well disagree or take a different approach, but as a writer, when I get this, and I have gotten it quite a few times over the years, this kind of attention and connection feels like the greatest gift a reader can give a writer. Not PR, but attention. I agree with Maggie up to a point there. A review is an engagement for sure. You do have to slow down, you do have to read and reread, and I think even when you kind of hate the book, you end up feeling attached to it. It's a horrible book, but it's your horrible book. It's kind of like your unruly child. But Maggie says, if I don't like a book, I just pass on it. And I think, look, in, in Maggie's case, that's absolutely her prerogative because she's running her own site. She's like, as far as I understand it, she's corralling a whole bunch of other reviewers. She's talking to publishers. I mean, she's doing some version of what I do here, but like, it actually matters. It's actually for real. And uh, I think in this case, absolutely, you should be allowed to just pass on it if you don't like a book. But I wonder whether 
that is just the default at this moment in Australian poetry reviewing. I wonder if the claustrophobia, the fear, the the reticence, the unwillingness to to take an honest stance means that we are just not hearing about books that a reviewer didn't enjoy. Free delicious dishes. Shut up, man. Really tough decision. It was not a tough decision. But in the end, the best dish of the day had to be the one that summed up in the best way possible the generosity of the Italian table. What are you even talking about? What are you saying? These are meaning-free words you are saying, Matt. Brent, yours was the best dish of the day. Fucking Brent. Months and months and months ago, over on Slee Ricketts, Matthew was talking a lot about Ben Lerner and talking about his poem, The Lights. I think we've got some neighbour action over there. Hopefully that's not too annoying. Um, Yeah, talking about this poem called The Lights, which ended up being the title poem of his book that's just come out, his first poetry book in, I don't know, a decade or something. Um, And when, like, Matthew really, really took this poem to task and it was hilarious and savage. But the thing is that it kind of, like, I kind of became attached to the poem through thinking about it in this way because the more that Matthew kind of ripped into it, the more I was like, how much do I agree with what he's saying here? Like, yeah, some of these lines are really stupid, but other of these lines I kind of, I can see what he's going for. They sort of move me in some way. And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of became... Um, it became like my my terrible poem, my horrible poem by Ben Lerner. Uh, his, like, the other side of it, of course, is that somebody like Ben Lerner is so famous, so well-known, so celebrated. I imagine there are very few people who could write a review about his collection and do him any serious damage at this point whereas you know like if you are reviewing a first a first book for example or even like a third book by a poet here in in Australia who's kind of like you know they're going along they're publishing their work they are just plugging away and you don't like that book then what's the like what's your responsibility to them and to the readers of the review. I honestly don't know. <laughs> this is why I don't write reviews anymore because I feel like that comes up all the time. Is like, there are just so many books out there that are not bad and also not that great. How do you write that review? Aaron, I was really, really disappointed in you today. Oh, Aaron. I felt disappointed myself. Oh, you fucked it. You gave us a dish that had no heart. Oh, Aaron. How are you going to come back from this? from you. This is definitely the the lowest point. That dish was abysmal. Oh, my God. Remember, George? Do you guys remember, George? And hopefully it doesn't cost you the competition. I don't know. I've, I've stumped myself. I feel like I'm getting away from my point. Okay, look, I'm re-recording the second half of this because I've been sitting here this morning trying to edit what I recorded yesterday, 
when it was 38 degrees and I sound completely insane. So I'm just going to start again. I think that's going to be easier than trying to deal with the mess that I created yesterday. I'm re-recording the last half of this. This is my third attempt here. I recorded a whole bunch of stuff yesterday. It was 38 degrees. I sounded completely insane when I went back to edit it. So decided to do it again, decided that would be faster, but I'm really struggling. Like, I I don't know what's wrong. I think when I get like this, when I'm recording, it suggests to me that I'm talking about something that I'm A, not very confident about and B, there's stuff that I want to say that I feel like I can't say. Um, so I'm just going to go straight through and I'm going to fuck up and I'm going to say things that upset people and I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to try not to edit any of this. Okay. In tribute to you, Matt Wall. (laughs) Um, okay. So I got, I got more notes here, more really good notes. The first one I want to come to is I got an article sent to me by John Hunter. John is head of Hunter Publishers. Hunter has put out some of my favorite books of the last couple of years. Most of all, Pam Brown's Stasis Shuffle. He also put out Joel Dean's book that we talked about a couple of episodes ago, Judas Boys. Um, Fiona Heil, Liam Fernie. Like the Hunter backlist is fantastic. So it means a lot to me that John's out there listening. He sent me this article from the Australian Humanities Review. And it's an article called, it's got kind of a like difficult to pass title, but it started to make sense to me once I read it through. It's called Small Publishers and the Emerging Network of Australian Literary Presumption. And it's by a guy called Emmett Stinson. Presumption comes from this word prosumer, which I'd never heard before. A prosumer is somebody who both produces and consumes something. And so this article is making the case that once we come up with a definition of what literature is, which is pretty hazy and difficult to pin down, we can see that in Australia, if you are a consumer of literature, you're also producing it. I just don't know if this holds all that well for fiction, because I'm thinking about like, all the book clubs and, you know, people who are sitting around at Fitzroy Paul, like performatively reading the latest book that everybody should be reading. They're not necessarily writers of literary fiction. But when it comes to poetry, you know, and I know, like, this is true. We are the producers and the consumers. And we'll come to this in the next note that we talk about. But that's just how it is. I don't even think that we necessarily need to make a value judgment about that. Like, I think, I think there are good and bad sides to it. Julie, do you think it's fair that you're here? I am very disappointed. I totally deserve to be here no. and I'm sorry to you. No, Julie, don't. You're a good cook. Don't buy into you're this shit. you messed up today. I want to read this beautiful note from Harry Reid. Harry is the author of the fabulous collection Leave Me Alone, which came out in 2022 from Cordite Books. Harry is also one third of Sick Leave, which also includes Ursula Robinson Shaw and Gareth Morgan. Sick Leave is a reading series. It's also a publisher. 
So Harry writes, Hello Alice, your latest ep was a ripper and now I guess I will read that article. Here is my two cents, for what it's worth. Oz poetry will never ever be anything other than a poet-run machine. We've certainly not been heading in that direction in 2013. I think, I think what Harry meant to write there was since 2013, so we've certainly not been heading in that direction since 2013. Where can you publish? Vagabond, Cordite, Rabbit, Five Islands? It's turtles, brackets poets, all the way down. And that flows out into everything. Can't begrudge a meat critical output when that output may have direct implications on publishing because you've pissed off one of the five guys who print anything. Except for sick leave, of course. We're perfect. You've said a mouthful there, Harry. <laughs> I'm going to continue on and try to approximate Harry's use of all caps. So in terms of critical output, criticism, Harry says, Ursula could probably save us, but she insists on being a novelist, writing her fake book and reviewing only novels. I am quietly um, just buzzing with excitement about whatever it is that Ursula is working on, but I also know that saying that probably puts pressure on her. When I interviewed Ursula back in 2022, um, we talked about a couple of her reviews that she published in the Sydney Review of Books. They are phenomenal. They are fun to read. They are incredibly well written. There is a lot of, there's just a, a, a scary amount of work gone into them. So yeah, maybe Ursula could save us, but it sounds like she's got more important things to do. And that is where her focus should be. Next dot point, Gareth can also probably save us, but he can't do it all. His quote-unquote review of Corey Wakeling's poem is unreal. Gareth and Ursula's work is the kind of work I'm most interested in right now, brackets, biased, obviously. Well, look, I mean, if you can't uh, be biased towards the work of your friends, then what are we doing? But yeah, I mean, Gareth's review of Lucy Van's The Open is another one that is genuinely fun to read and really, like... It is, it's, it's a challenging read, but it's a satisfying one. You get to the end of that and you feel like your perspective on the book has been changed, deepened in some way. But yeah, I mean, it can't just be up to the three of you. That, that's not okay. <laughs> Harry goes on to say, I will not save us. You're on your own. Yeah, fair enough. And then he ends by saying, lol and Lamau are giving my book away. You should sign it. Love Alice on behalf of Harry. I definitely will. Um, yeah, just jumping back up to the point you made about can't begrudge a meek critical output when that output may have direct implications on publishing because you've pissed off one of the five guys who print anything. As I said, you, you've said a mouthful there. This is something I think about all the time. It's very difficult to talk about. Because that is true, and that does hamper a lot of things. And then there's this other voice in my head that is like, yes, but you know that these people who are printing the books, who are publishing the books, who are editing the books and marketing them, getting them into bookshops, like they're giving up their lives to do it 
and like you're whinging about grant applications, they write six grant applications a year just to make books exist in Australia. So maybe I don't want to piss them off. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I don't want to criticize them because they're doing the job that means that we have a culture of poetry in Australia at all. But this is, this is the pointy end of it, right? Like it's so tiny. It's not that I want to make enemies, but like if I do make enemies, I'm fucked. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I wish I had more time. Like I feel like I'm saying stuff here that is just, I don't know how I feel about it. All right, let's move on to the next note. Tomorrow, all three of you have a chance to redeem yourself. What but if you one just, of you... What if you just didn't? ...will go home. What if you just left and just walked out? What What could they do? They can't do no anything to you. I have no idea I'm going to stay in this competition. Just don't, just leave. Tomorrow, the three of you face the pressure test. Oh, fuck off, Matt. A beautiful note from the wonderful and kind Anne-Marie Priest. Anne-Marie is the author of Gwen Harwood's biography, My Tongue is My Own, which I have mentioned again and again on here because I just think it is a gift, a real gift of a book. Yeah, surprised, delighted to hear that Anne-Marie is out there listening, sort of shocked that she can put up with my idiocy on here. She seems way too smart for that, but I, I love that you're out there listening, Anne-Marie. So this is Anne-Marie's note. She says, I listened to your latest episode on Australian poetry critics this morning. I had lots of thoughts, but will limit myself to a Gwen-related one. I think a very critical reviewing culture can be quite damaging to poets, especially those just starting out. Some of the reviews from the 1940s, 50s and 60s I read as part of my research on Gwen left me gasping. They were so nasty, so pompous and grudging and snide. I suddenly felt like I understood why Gwen's early work was so defended, as though she was anticipating every possible attack, every possible chink in a poem's armour, and doing her best to make it impregnable. And the first critics of her work mostly got it wrong too, in both their praise and their blame, so I think anyway. If she had relied on them to steer her right, she would have founded. What she did as a beginning poet was read everything that was being published, both in Australia and overseas, as much as she had access to, and from this she was able to build up her own sense of what worked and what didn't, what was strong and what wasn't, and I guess what she liked and wanted to do and what she didn't. And that, rather than any critical or academic views of her work, was what she grounded herself in. That and the views of a few trusted friends who were not always right or helpful either, if you ask me. Which is not to say, of course, that the critical attacks didn't bite deeply, or that the praise was not a joy to her. But you can't give all that power to the critics, who, as you say, have their own tastes and preferences. And then in brackets she says, Have you seen Creme de la Flemme? It's a 2006 collection of vicious reviews by Australian critics since the 1950s. The editor, Angela Benny, was, incidentally, the daughter of Peter Benny, Gwen Harwood's great love. 
all roads lead to Gwen. I haven't seen that, but it sounds fantastic. What you're saying here, Anne-Marie, reminds me of something that I learned when I went to the Anya Walwitz Symposium last year, year before. Um, Anya Walwitz was a, a powerhouse, like a force of nature, but she was also somebody who confused the hell out of people. And somebody who worked really closely to her asked her about criticism. And what Anya said is something that I wrote down and stuck next to my monitor. She said, don't listen, it's not real. And I feel like if you're Anya Walwitz or if you're Gwen Harwood, if you're writing in an environment that doesn't quite understand you yet, that is probably going to gain something by keeping you out, then you do have to build a wall between yourself and the criticism. You can't take it on board. You have to act as if it's not real. Yeah, I, I feel myself swinging between these two perspectives of, of course we don't want harshness. Of course we don't want gatekeeping, people being mean for the sake of it. Of course we don't want that. And then another voice that says, but don't you want honesty? Don't you want people to know if they're bad and good? Don't you want directness? Depends on what the challenge is to, to, to determine who will go home out of the three of us. Yes, that's how it works. It's going to be one of your toughest challenges yet. Oh, the why? stakes just keep getting higher. <laughs> this is it. It doesn't get any more important than this. It doesn't get any more important than this. Thank you for giving us the chance to cook again. Oh, Julie. Thank See you tomorrow. Julie, you're See killing you me. I can't even imagine what they could be bringing on that could be more pressure than what we've just been through. I came to some kind of conclusion talking again to David from Ratbag Poetics. So I'm going to end with his note. So David wrote to me and he said, shouldn't poetry, the reading of it and writing and critiquing, all be fun? It doesn't pay well enough or at all to ever not be fun. Uh... And I, that kind of, something clicked for me when I read that. And I wrote back and I said, you're right about the fun. And the fun's the way through all this, I think. I can't get out of my head this line from Chris Wallace Crabbe's piece on damaged glamour from just after John Forbes died. Chris says that after reading his review of one of his books, Forbes said he wanted to strangle him. And this is the, the quote from the review that was published in the Australian Book Review. This is Chris Wallace Crabbe. At my back, reading Forbes, I always hear his growling distress at a review I wrote in Scripsy of one of his early volumes. Turning to me in a corridor, he said that he wanted to strangle me. I replied mildly, I thought the review was entirely favourable. He said, in turn, it was like James Mason on the conning tower of a submarine, smiling sardonically. I trust that his shade will not be dissatisfied with what I have written here. I thought about that paragraph, which has really stayed with me since I read that piece by Chris. And I thought, what if that conversation, like it sounds very macho and very sort of, I'm going to strangle you, mate, kind of thing. But like, Maybe they're both laughing. Maybe they're both sort of 
being a bit wry and lighthearted about it. I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating, but either way, whether it was a funny exchange or an antagonistic exchange, if we can just keep a sense of humor on board, then maybe we can write reviews that are honest and critical and maybe even a little bit biting. And the other thing I said to David was, alongside keeping a sense of humor on board, we need to keep in mind how low the stakes are. But the stakes are both low and high. They're low because we're talking about poetry. But they're high because you and I and many others have devoted huge amounts of our lives to this thing that maybe doesn't matter. And that's kind of heartbreaking and it's kind of funny. Tonight, the pressure reaches breaking point for some. We want to see something beautiful. We want great food. As our chefs face two challenges. It's business time. First, the mystery box. Yeah, they're like funeral boxes. Oh, here we go, Jonah. We're going to interview you for poetry. Oh, hello. Can you, um, just for the record, say your name and occupation? No. No, that's fair enough. Jonah, where do you get your inspiration? Yeah. No? No inspiration. It's all hard work, is it? Yeah. 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 Do you have a famous poet that you admire? I think he said dad. <laughs> no, he said cat gone out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Jonah, cat don't gone out. <laughs> cat gone out. It's abstract. <laughs> 